0: Well, it is Minnesota after all, and you just yeah, you just, <laughs> and that's it. That's right. Wash our sins whiter than snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This year especially, right? Well. You got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right, let's turn to John chapter eight. John chapter eight. And I I went I wanted to go back to chapter to verses thirty-one. Well actually verses thirty-three through thirty-six this morning. Um and re- revisit some of these thoughts from chapter 8 simply because this is such an important, uh, doctrinal, uh, part of, of what we believe Scripture teaches. And it's, it's often not, uh, often not dealt with in its, in its depth. And so, If you'll follow with me, we'll read verses 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, You will be free, indeed. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day and for the uh, the acts of worship that we have already uh, been party to this morning and privileged to. Uh, truly, we are not worthy to step foot in into your church but you have called us, you have saved us, you've redeemed us uh, to yourself, and you have made us worthy in Christ Jesus. And so we we thank you for that, and we, we pray this morning that as we uh, revisit uh, some of the thoughts and, and uh, words from this passage that you will teach us through it, uh, remind us of who we are, uh, who we are were and who we shall be in Christ. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Jesus has laid out the truth about salvation in the clearest of terms. He tells these Jews that it says, believed in Him... But we know from our study in, study in time past that the belief was not a, a, a true salvific belief. They, they believed, but they didn't believe. And we can tell that by the terms that they used, by the words that they speak. Jesus tells them that if they're going to follow him as his disciples, that they must believe in him... And they must abide in His Word. That's the only way to have life and freedom. And they would find that freedom from their sin which had enslaved them. This is what he is talking about. It's the point of this section of Scripture. Sin has mankind enslaved. People think they're free while they are really prisoners. They are captives within their own souls. Jesus revealed that the inevitable blessings of believing in him And obeying his word would be the avenue of truth and freedom from a life that is dominated by sin. However, these Pharisees didn't understand that he was speaking about their souls. They took his meaning to be that they were slaves from some outside force some other nation or people. The truth that sets a person free from the bondage of their sin is in Jesus Christ alone. John John writes in the very first chapter of his gospel, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that truth, the truth is in Jesus. And we we can't really get any clearer than that. And that's what Jesus is telling these people. That I am telling you the truth. That if you're going to have life and if you're going to have freedom, you must believe in me and abide in my word. And so these men are shocked and angered at Jesus' inference that they are enslaved. They're incensed. Notice their answer in verse 33. They said to him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How do you say that we need to be set free? They had been in bondage to other nations. Many outside forces they were enslaved to. They were enslaved to Egypt. They were enslaved to Assyria. They were enslaved to Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Syria. And now they're enslaved to Rome. So they weren't thinking of an outside force having enslaved them. They were thinking that of their national freedom as the chosen people of God. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking that God has chosen them. This, in their minds, was a religious freedom that came through Abraham. They were Abraham's descendants. That's why they bring him up. We are... We are Jews. We come from the line of Abraham, they say. In other words, they were trusting in Abraham for their religious freedom, for their salvation. They placed their confidence in their ethnic heritage. People still do that today. How many people over the years have I heard say, "Oh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home, or I was baptized when I was a child, or oh yeah, my mother was a Christian. She read the Bible to us all the time," and yet they have no idea what true salvation is because they're clinging to some some ethnic or background thing and putting their trust in that they were sincerely confident these Jews though in a though in political bondage that that they were free nationally and religiously they knew they were enslaved by rome they knew that there was no freedom But in their minds, they thought, we're already free because we're the descendants of Abraham. And God smiles upon us because of him. But the freedom Jesus referred to was not an ethnic or racial or religious freedom. It was inwardly personal. Inwardly personal. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 2. Uh, one of the passages Dave mentioned, for he says, No one, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Well, of course, they looked at their circumcision because that was what God established in the covenant with Abraham. And so, because they were circumcised and descendants of Abraham, We're good. We're saved. We we have salvation. This is what they thought. But he writes, the Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is the divine surgeon who cuts away the foreskin of the heart. not talking about a physical thing. He's not talking about an ethnic thing. John the Baptist had given these Jews exactly the same poignant warning in Luke chapter 3. This is what he said to the crowds that came to be baptized to him. You brood of vipers. Well, that's a good way to set your audience uh, off, isn't it? To get to get their good favor. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Now, when he said that, when John said that to them, he must have anticipated their excuses as those who were born from the lineage of Abraham. Because this is what he says next. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up these stones as children of Abraham. As Jesus said this to them, they must have been thinking of Genesis 17, verse 7, and Genesis 22, and like passages, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through the generations for an everlasting covenant to, to be God to you and your offspring after you. I will surely bless you and multiply you as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore and your offspring shall possess in the gate of his enemies. They must have thought we've been called by God to rule all people. This is what they thought. The the Israel Israel will rule everyone. In fact, a common saying in Israel was that all Israel are the children of kings. That they would rule. This ethnic trust is dispelled by John in chapter 1 of this gospel. Saying that being born into God's family was not a matter of bloodline, but of God's sovereign power. Their pride as Jews shows forth. William Hendrickson writes this. Their line of reasoning is on this order. Heathens, Heathen are in bondage. They serve idols. But surely we are not in bondage. We are no heathens. We are not even Samaritans. How then is it that Jesus can say, you will become free? See, they thought they were already free. If they had understood Jesus to mean that in believing in him, he would give them political and national freedom, they would have rallied behind him and believed in him instantly. But they would rather think of themselves as already free than to commit to Christ and remain in their internal prison. You see, we don't we don't have in in our in our modern day, we don't have a really good concept of sin and the working of sin and the prison. That sinners live in. It's called the doctrine of total depravity. They they were doing what many of us do. They ignored the facts about their spiritual condition for a lie. They were indifferent to the offer of freedom. Because they didn't realize they were in bondage. How do you say we will be free? In other words, what are you talking about? How can you say that? That we'll be free? We're already free, they would have thought, see. And then we come to verses 34 and 35. And Jesus gives a very sobering and reflective answer that cuts to the heart of the matter of one's personal responsibility before God. Notice what he says. Truly, truly, when you see those words, truly, truly, it is an emphatic statement that he is making. And Jesus uses this phrase over and over throughout the gospel. Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Wow. Now we get to the heart of the matter. Jesus pulls out all the stops. And he immediately, he immediately wipes out the distinction between Jew and Gentile. He wipes it clean. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile with regard to sin. Their standing before God and His justice based upon His law is the same. They would not have wanted to hear this. For they were the most prejudiced of all people on earth. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 22 says the iniquities of the the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in their cords. And all men are wicked. Acts chapter 8 verse 23, Peter said to Simon the sorcerer, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You're bound up in iniquity. You see, everyone is a slave to sin who practices sin. And since sinning is all that an unbeliever can do, they are overcome and taken captive by it and unable to deliver themselves from its bondage. The unbeliever is as surely chained to sin as one who is chained to a dungeon wall. And with every sin he commits... The chain is drawn tighter and tighter until finally it crushes him completely. I want you to notice the emphasis on the word practices. Jesus says, He who, anyone, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That word practices is... A present participle. It is there to show what sinners actually do in their sin. It is not speaking of individual sins that one commits. It is speaking rather of the life of sin that is practiced by everyone that does not know Christ. It is a lifestyle it is a state of life that is sinful. It is that, hear this carefully, it is that which is opposed to the will of God. It is sometimes expressed in different terms. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you would. I want you to notice the terms of Workers of lawlessness. That, this is that terrible passage where Jesus divides the sheep from the goats and to those on his left, he says, not everyone who says to me, Verse 21, excuse me. Well, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. There you are, the will of God. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty wonderful works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You may have workers of iniquity. He, what he's saying is, depart from me, you practitioners of sin. You, you who practice sin, depart from me. I didn't I don't know you. I've never known you. In fact, John writes in 1 John 3 verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Law, sin is lawlessness. They are one and the same. Lawlessness is just simply an opposition to the will of the Father. So the practice of sin is a disregard of and a delight in opposing the law of God, whether consciously or unconsciously. Don't think for a moment that people don't delight in their sin. That they don't delight in going against what God has commanded them. They do. They delight in it. It was the Lord Jesus who had perfect freedom. For he perfectly did the will of God at all times. Elliot, the commentator, writes, For many of them the voice of conscience must have spoken in terrible words and must have revealed the chain which had bound them hand and foot in the slavery of sin. When we get to chapter 11, we get a really beautiful picture in Lazarus of what's, Sin looks like. How it binds a person. And the freedom. That Christ brings. The slavery. That. He's talking about. Is spoken of often. In in the scriptures. Turn to Romans chapter 6. This is that classic. Uh, passage <clears throat> on the, the change that takes place in the life of the believer regarding sin. Uh, I, I did a full year study on Romans chapter 6 many years ago here. Um, it, it is such a rich passage. Uh, look at verse 16. 16 to 20. <clears throat> Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one who you, whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, what is he doing here <clears throat> in verse 16? He is personifying sin and obedience. As though they were as though they were people. That tell you what to do and what not to do. He says if sin is the person that you're obeying. Then he is going to eventually lead you to death. And he's not talking about physical death. Just physical death. He's talking about eternal death in the lake of fire. Which is the second death. If, it, if this person you're obeying is obedience, then he will lead you to righteousness. And the end of righteousness is sanctification. Follow on, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is that standard? It is the word of the living God. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. And now obedience is telling you what to do, where to go, how to live. And if you follow obedience to the word, you will become righteous. You will live righteous. Verse nineteen. I'm speaking in human terms, he says, because of your natural limitations. Yeah we we don't have we don't have the capacity to uh, to learn these things unless we are, have it illustrated to us, and that's what he's doing. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, what is lawlessness? Sin. Leading to more lawlessness, to more sin. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. And if you're not sanctified, you'll never see the Lord. Never be with the Lord. You, if you're not sanctified, you will hear him say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You had no righteousness when you were a slave of sin. So people who are slaves to their sin, they don't have a righteousness that will stand before God's judgment bar. They don't have any kind of justification that will cause God to pardon them. Listen to, what he, listen to what Paul writes to Titus in chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, hated by others and hating, another, hating one another. That's just a picture of us. That's a word picture of our lives before Christ. All of those things that we were enslaved to, we've now been set free from. 2nd Peter chapter 2, Peter writes about false teachers, and this is what they say. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is the picture that Jesus draws for these Jews. And all of mankind is born in that and under that condemnation of sin. It is a most horrible situation. Another thing we don't understand is how slavery in the Roman Empire actually worked. Slaves were bought and bartered all across the Roman Empire. Half of the population, more than half of the population of Rome were slaves. Everybody knew what a slave was. Everybody knew uh, about slavery It wasn't like the slavery of our early American days at all. It was far worse. Slaves were considered chattel to be used or to be kept or to be disposed of at the master's wish. They were under the complete control of another. The point is that slaves had no rights. They had no position in the house of the owner. No position. Though they lived on the master's property, they had no permanent residence there. They could be sold. They could be punished, they could be killed at the master's at their master's wish or whim. Now, while all these Jews thought their relationship to Abraham united them to God, Jesus points out that they had no real relationship with God at all. Their great need was to be set free from the tyrannical master that kept them in bondage. And that master was sin. So Jesus was warning the Jews who thought they were secure in their religion that as slaves they would one day be cast out. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 8 if you will. Matthew chapter 8. In this passage, Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. And he met A Roman centurion who had a young boy as his slave who was paralyzed and suffering in pain at his home. And Luke tells us he was at the point of death. This centurion had obviously become attached to the boy and came and asked the Lord to intervene on his behalf. Jesus immediately said that he would go with him to his house, to which the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy. Notice he calls him Lord. That's a good indicator of his heart. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. You don't have to be there. You don't have to come with me. I'm not worthy of that. Just say the word. And though Jesus knew the hearts of all men, in his humanness, he he was amazed. He was amazed at this man's faith. It was certainly uncommon for a Roman soldier to show such tenderness and faith because most were battle hardened and cruel pagan idolaters. Jesus remarked that he had not seen such faith as this in all of his ministry to Israel, and that from a Gentile. <clears throat> It was at this point that Jesus makes this statement. Look at verses 11 and 12. I tell you, he says, after he had commented on the man's faith, he said, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews who considered themselves the children of God because they were from the lineage and and ethnic nation of Abraham. Who are the many that will come from east and west and, and... recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are Gentiles. Gentiles whom God will bring into His kingdom. But the sons of the kingdom, the ones who think they they own the kingdom, will be cast out into outer darkness. And there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because of the suffering and the pain of their rejection of the Savior. In other words, these people that Jesus is speaking to would not remain in the Father's house. They thought the kingdom was theirs. They thought they were the sons of God through Abraham. But Jesus tells them that many Gentiles would enter the kingdom of heaven through faith. While they will be cast out. This must have enraged them. Only... The Son and those He redeems will remain forever. Everyone else will be turned away. Paul informs us of that in Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all the sons of God through faith. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Jesus has permanent rights. In God's house as ruler of creation. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house. Do you get the impact of that? Christ is a, is a faithful son over God's house and we're that house. There is no possible way that we cannot Enter into his kingdom. If we hold fast our confession. And our boasting in hope. The only way that a slave. Can remain in God's house. Is to be adopted as God's child. Think about it. Slaves had no. Had no lineage. They had no. Uh, they couldn't trace their birth. They. They. They had no rights of any kind. The only way a slave could be set free from their slavery was if their master gave them their freedom and adopted them as their own. And for, and for a Roman slave to be adopted into a household and given the rights of a son was the highest honor that anyone could receive. Now turn with me to Romans 8 and Ephesians 1. And I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you for indulging me for a few more minutes. So now the slave has been adopted. Notice this, Romans 8 verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. What does that mean? It means we can now call God our Father, we can call Him dead. He's adopted us. We're His child. Now, now look at Ephesians 1, verse 5. You knew I was going there, didn't you? Ephesians 1, 5. He, God, predestined us for what? Adoption to Himself as sons. Actually as firstborn sons with all the rights of inheritance. How did He do that? Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. He adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ. Now the adopted child is a slave of righteousness, not a slave of sin. And Jesus says, when you're a slave of righteousness, you're truly free. Truly free. The classic song, And Can It Be, penned by Charles Wesley, beautifully illustrates this truth. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth. And followed thee. That's what Jesus does for sinners who are enslaved to sin. He adopts them as his own, redeems them, and gives them a new life to pursue righteousness. And the end of that is sanctification, which everyone who would see God has to have. May God be praised for His goodness and His mercy which is new every day. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the for the Lord's Day that we've had and for the opportunity, the privilege to come and worship. I pray, Lord, that You would bless each one that's here, bless those who could not get out this morning. And I pray that... Uh, you would as you have taught us through your scriptures the depth and the de- depravity that is that was ours through our our first father adam who failed so miserably yet through the second adam our our father in heaven has redeemed us and he has adopted us and we are his children through christ jesus this we praise you for And through all eternity we will praise you and worship you in your kingdom for your Son, the Lord Jesus. By the Spirit of the living God, in His name we pray. Amen.